Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Uh, another episode for you. Thanks, sponsors. Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's another episode. Hope you enjoy. I'm not sure where this was, where you were doing kind of one-man shows, maybe five years ago or so, where you would set up around here before the shows were as big and as successful seemed like you would come down here and do like a one-man show and send out your postcards when were you doing that no i'm not doing that because it's a lot more work and at the end of a one-man show even when i was young if i ever was i'd probably be dragging for a day or two that was a way of reaching customers that i felt were underserved by the shows the best example is atlanta for about 10 years, I did a show four times a year there that was put in. Bob Presley hosted a really nice show, had Mantles and Williams autographs, Musial, and people like that. And uh, I'd go down for those shows, and uh, I had a lot of good customers in Atlanta. There weren't a lot of dealers there, but Bob quit in 97. From that time on, I tried to keep my mailing list updated, and I did four shows a year, one-man shows. Three days, one meeting room in a hotel. It turned out good for me. I had a really good reception on that. And uh, I only did one-man shows because there weren't enough of the regular ones. <laughs> Same was true of Dallas for a while. Because <clears throat> I love buying more than I love selling. It just seemed like the one-man show concept would be a great opportunity for buying. People would bring I think it, it and you've got no competition. They sell it to you or not. I'd say that's true. That it's a higher percentage of what came to you for sale would be successfully purchased in those one-man shows. I think you're right. When I really look at it and I had those same thoughts back then some, but I think looking back on it, that it was really true. Uh, I've got another question for you because I think you're similar to me in this respect. If I were to ask you, what was your biggest or best buy or your biggest or best sale or your biggest or best trade, the only thing I can think about is my best buy. I can't think of, when I think of a dramatic something that happened, it wasn't about a big sale. It wasn't about a big trade. It was about a big buy that I bought some really nice stuff for a good price. Are you like that too? Jim, I think the same bug has bitten me, yes. <laughs> but a trading, do you remember a bunch of big trades that you made? Because you go back into the 50s. It was tracking in the 70s. There were some trades, but mainly it was buying and selling, and the emphasis was more on buying right. Yes, it was. You're absolutely right. I was not that active in the 50s and 60s. I was uh, I was a, an isolated person and it might have looked like I was buying and selling a lot because I was selling some and buying some, but I wasn't that active in the 50s. We all know, and I'm, I'm just going to state it again, there was a dramatic shift up to buying and selling of a lot of people getting with it after the publication of Dr. Jim Beckett's price guide. And that made a major difference in what was coming out of the woodwork and made a major difference in what some people were looking for. And it really was. More stuff came out, but you couldn't buy it for a penny on the dollar anymore. But people <laughs> brought stuff out because they had a handle on what it might be worth. And dealers were were able to buy more. They had to pay a little higher than the super cheap prices they were paying. But in the long run, it was a natural step in the evolution of the hobby. So. I'm glad well, I was it, part of that. But they made millions of these cards. You were a kid. Every kid had cards. And oh, so sure. you say they weren't scarce at all. Now, nowadays, they're scarce in near mint condition. Mm -hmm. 50s and the 60s, 
the, every neighborhood had kids with. You're so right. It, we had everything like card collecting clubs and uh, we had just get togethers, uh, almost spontaneous at times. But even the kids that had something other than what they bought, and most of what I'm talking about is back in the 50s, especially were bubblegum packs yeah. that you bought at the grocery store or maybe the drugstore or even occasionally at a service station would have baseball cards, believe it or not, buy them in packs and open the packs and try to keep track and trade and all that. That was a big thing. But uh, yeah, I look back then as a dealer, when I see, I have a few buys and a few sales that I recorded and still have the history of and so forth. Talk about the excitement, which doesn't really happen hardly anymore, is someone offering me, they came to me and said, hey, in the 1980s in San Francisco, I sold you all my 60s, 70s, and early 80s football sets and the second sets and single cards and everything to concentrate on the old stuff. Um, a guy had moved to Houston from San Francisco, and he still had all the records of what I'd paid him. Oh, he said, now let's get down serious. And he put out a bunch of notebooks and all at once I'm looking at $100,000 worth of football cards. Those buying experiences, I mean, I had a hard time catching my breath or sleeping that night. And But we came, he said, I don't want to show them to anybody else, but I was very lucky. And he said, I'll take less than they're worth. And I said, I hope so. <laughs> but it wasn't a buyer where I paid 10000 and got $100,000 worth of cards. Yeah. But I probably bought for 50% of what what their retail value was. And they all were so scarce. Some of the old chickle sets and things like that, those cards sold on a New York second. <laughs> well, have you ever borrowed money to buy a collection or have you ever bought a collection on installment to like a layaway or you paid them <laughs> so much a month or has it always been like cash? Cash is certainly the best incentive for people to sell. But frankly, Probably 50% of what I bought has been on installments and so forth. It usually has to be someone I dealt with before. If I'm dealing for the first time with someone that's never met me, I'm pretty much resigned that I need cash to buy what they have. Some of my good customers have even said, just take it and as you sell it, just send me the money. If we talk three years from now, are you going to have the same number and value of cards? Because my goal is to have less every year. Are you going to have about the same or are you tapering down a little bit? I think I'm tapering down. If I'm going to stay in business, I better have virtually the same amount of 1950s. But some of the other cards I have, I will carry less cards if I last longer. Eventually, even I will have to say, I guess it's time to just stay home. But yeah, certainly I'm not going to be buying more. Roger, have you ever sold wholesale? Because you buy wholesale and sell retail. But if you were trying to taper down, would you be selling wholesale? Would you find another dealer that said, hey, take all my 73s or something like that? I've already done that a number of times, usually when I had an excess of something. One example, gentlemen working for Tops approached me about some of their retro cards they needed. They were like one year it was 1968 and one year it was 69, those retro cards they had. And he said, I wish I could find somebody that would... Uh, Furnish me like three or four thousand. I need ten thousand of those cards because we're going to put one in every pack. I don't need the stars. In fact, I won't pay the star. I surprised him and I said, You don't have to look too far. I'll just, I had ten thousand sixty eights for him, but none of them were stars. Yeah. That's overkill. Worked that day, but but then the next year I sold him about ten thousand sixty nines. 
but I didn't replenish. I said, that's my secret. If I want to have less cards, I've got to quit replenishing. Last question, Roger. I mean, how many 52 Tops mantles have you handled over the years? If I told you how many, I'm not sure that you would believe me. 52 mantles were readily available when I was little. My aunt had a Rexall store and we got the 52 pie numbers in 53. I had another great aunt that had a smaller grocery store, the same thing there. So I probably had handled 50 1952 mantles by the time I went full-time. I certainly haven't handled 50 in the last 10 years. Was this in western Kansas? Central Kansas. They were there. For example, TG&Y had gotten in 1952 um, uncut sheets to put in the window to sell cards. Can you imagine if I'd have been smart enough to take one of the uncut sheets that had the mantle and Jackie Robinson and uh, Hoyt Wilhelm rookie and so forth and kept it. <laughs> Here you I wasn't that smart. I'll vouch for you, Roger. There were pockets of pl- uh, places around the country that very late in 52 got those 52 high numbers. And Mantle was a double print. So that's very reasonable. It wasn't a hard car to get in the series. And when you found them, when I've been on these buying trips, when you find them, you find a bunch of them. But it's dried up now. But imagine this is not an exaggeration, but <laughs> in 53, There was a town eight miles from the farm and ranch where I lived, but there were a bunch of guys and myself that were in a collecting club, and we were loving the 53 Bowmans by then in color, and you know how beautiful they are. Yep. And my aunt said, Roger, I need your promise about something. She said, I can get a whole case, of course, I didn't know how many were in a case, a whole case of 52 Tops cards, and she said, I'll guarantee you that none of them or any that you've ever seen. She did get my attention with that. (laughs) And she said, but I have to know that you'll promise that you and your card collecting club will come in and open those and buy them from me, and I won't get stuck with them. I said, I'll let them know. We all had so many duplicates of 52 tops because they were just so exciting that we kept buying and had no checklist, so we didn't know if we had them all or not. Now, when she got a case of 52 high numbers in 24 boxes... She let me know they're there. You guys come. We went, and on a Saturday, there were four of us, and we bought eight. We took eight boxes and opened opened eight at the time, and we kept buying after that. There were no checklists. We didn't know if we had them all or not. We didn't know how many were manufactured. If we had the card ready, we'd sit in the middle, said, guys, I have an extra Hoyt Wilhelm, or I have an extra Jackie Robinson here. Anybody needs it. Can you imagine guys saying that now? <laughs> But anyway, we one day opened eight boxes and took one of every one for each of us. There was only one Eddie Matthews in that whole group, that Matthews rookie card 407. We all got a Mickey Mantle out of there, and there were eight Mickey Mantles left at the end of the day in the middle. Anyway, now, was I smart enough to put those away and say, there's a start on college or there's a start on my first House, of course not. (laughs) I wrote tops. I even tried to call them. I don't think I ever got them, but I begged for checklists and they never would furnish one. I think they thought putting a checklist was negative psychology toward people keeping buying because they didn't start checklists until, I guess, 56. There weren't any checklists at all. And then you look at 53 tops as well as 55 tops. They had missing numbers. I had to find the numbers. So I think tops probably somewhat intentionally thought no harm, no foul. But when I first got in the organized hobby in the early seventies and 
buddies with Gervis. There were people that would come up and they wouldn't even know that 52 tops went beyond 310 or the rare short prints in 48, 49 leaf. They'd never seen that. They had no concept that there could be a Bob Feller 48, 49 leaf. You're so right. We all want to turn back the clock, Roger. It's the one thing where young people wish they were us. <laughs> they wish they were older. <laughs> they would have experienced that firsthand instead of hearing about it on a podcast. And like you said, they're not calling us liars. It's just hard to believe that it would have been like that. But yeah. you saw it with your own eyes. I saw it with my own eyes. What's the first show that you ever went to? Was it one ever went to? It was the first show in Dallas that Gervis and I put on. Okay. It was like a fall of 73, I think. And it was out wow. in Rock Lake. And Rich found the flyer on it. You had to bring your own table. <laughs> we hired a room <laughs> and you had to bring your own table and chairs. And I'm oh not even God. sure tables would cost. It may have been. Oh, Lord. So that's how great a promoter I was. But I'm sure Gervis was the senior partner. But it got us going. It got us off the map. We had dealers coming in. John England came in from Fort Smith. And Will Davis came in from Southern California. And some guys now that are not around anymore. But it was uh, it was a start. It sure was. The guy in Fort Smith, John England, yeah. you probably know more about him, both what he had and then, then how he sold what he had. Because... I remember that you put a note in one of your price guides where you were adding a little flavor as well as prices, but you put a note about Vivian's bookstore being sold, and that's what he called his card shop. And you remember that, don't you? The I do, book- I do, yeah. No. He just was ahead of his time. That's true of a lot of guys that are older now. Like I say, the collections they amassed are now just legendary. Yet when they sold, it wasn't for seven figures, it was for six figures. Even that was a huge amount of money. Oh, yeah. But now they're talking about millions and millions of dollars for some of these collections that people have. Yeah. I'm not sure that's good for the hobby in the long run. We're lifers. It's been a great lifetime hobby for me and for you and for for many others. And so I I hope you live long and prosper, Roger. I'm hanging in there myself. It's a lot of fun still going to card shows. And I applaud you for trying to travel a little lighter each year because (laughs) it's going the right direction. 